We all have stories, stories of how God changed our lives, how the Holy Spirit has transformed us and the people around us. I mean, when I think about my story, he's healed me from past hurt. Yeah, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. He healed me. One time at Starbucks, I ordered a grande and they give me a venti. <laughs> That's not him. No? No. Are you sure? Yes. I don't know. Kind of feels like it. It's not. <laughs> oh, good morning. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from the chapel, the warehouse, uh, somewhere in the hallway around a television here at Long Point in our offsite campuses on the internet. We're glad that you guys are here. What a great, great uh, weekend. We, uh, Josh and I, uh, jo uh, Josh Threat, your lead pastor, and I uh, left right after church last weekend and flew the overnighter to London, and we met uh, uh, Monday through Wednesday uh, with 70 of the greatest churches in the UK and their staff and teams, and we talked to them a little bit about transition and what that, that's like, and transitioning to the next generation, and then we got on an airplane, early, I don't know how you do this, but early Thursday morning, and we arrived in Charleston just before the Chosen Women's Guy. It was the longest day, you know, when you're coming this direction across the pond, and we landed into all kind of crazy up in, in this place. There were, <clears throat> you know, 1,300 women, and just worship, and it was unbelievable, in fact, I was jet-lagged, tired, all of this kind of thing. And, you, you know, we're in a series right now on the Holy Spirit. And we talked to you a couple weeks ago about sometimes you'll come into a place, like Seacoast, one of the hallmarks here is that we want to experience the presence and power of God. We're un unapologetic about that. We want you to experience God. And, and uh, sometimes it, that ha you, you'll just start crying, you know. I mean, during worship. Anybody, has that ever happened to you? Yeah, oh, and well, it happened to me right here, sitting right where you are uh, on, the, on the front seat, and I, just out of nowhere, I'm just crying. It, maybe it was overload of estrogen in the room with this, all, I don't know, could have been the Holy Spirit, I don't know what it was, <clears throat> but they had this little uh, response station or something where if women were like crying and their mascara ran and all, that you could go get it fixed, and... My guy liner was just going nuts, you know, and I thought about going, I don't have guy liner, but anyway, kind of funny, but uh, it's just an overwhelming experience of God's presence, and it, it was one of fact, somebody, as we turned to shake hands during the forced fellowship time just a minute ago, uh, uh, somebody behind me said, I just didn't want Chosen to end, and I said, well, it's not. It's going all weekend, kind of. When they begin to plan, oh, let, let me say one more thing. Can I say one more thing? Uh, I'm going to. Uh, about the, <laughs> for those of you, especially those of you who are maybe in another campus or online, um, uh, this is the last chosen here at this building in Long Point, and we're going to move into the 2,500 seat auditorium for the next chosen. And uh, they offered an opportunity for ladies to uh, get tickets at an early bird rate. And uh, that thing's almost sold out already. In fact, the early bird rate ends the end of day, day to day, and I'll bet it'll just be sold out. It's just incredible. There was just such a, listen, it was a wonderful experience. Well, when they, when they were planning on it, and the speakers, they kind of ran, ran them by me about a year ago, and they said, would you 
what, what do you think about asking Charlotte Gamble to go ahead and stay and speak the weekend? I said, you kidding me? That would be awesome. Charlotte is uh, a part of our ARC family. She is um, a co-pastor with her husband. Steve, who happens to be here this weekend also uh, at Life Church in uh, Bradford, England. Actually, that's just kind of the, the, the hub of it. They have multi-site like we do. And uh, great church, uh, just impacting a lot of people for generations. And then uh, she's a, a mother and an author, some great books. We have some of those. If you want to take a little bit of what we experience here at home, you can do that afterwards. But uh, uh, just, just an incredible uh, communicator of God's word to the church, with a mission specifically to the church. We're in a series on the Holy Spirit, and we wanted to hear what does the Holy Spirit have to say to the local church today? Excited about it? Would you stand with me and, and here and in the campuses? Just give a great, big <laughs> hospitality, southern welcome, Charlotte Gamble. Thank you, Charlotte. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey. <clears throat> Good morning. See, some already know my game. I'm going to have you all stand on your feet. Sorry. If I have to stand up and preach in heels for, you know, the next few moments, you can stand for a couple more moments. And so good to be with you on all campuses this morning. And I want to thank you for the honor of being in your church. I don't take that lightly. This is something that is precious. This pulpit and speaking into the family of God is a responsibility that rests on me heavy as it should, that I'm here to serve you as a church. I'm here to serve you on every campus, that God's hand is on your house and the expansion is in your future. And I kind of want to give voice to that. And my uh, job today is not to impress you. In fact, if you came to be impressed, you're going to be disappointed. I am not a wow preacher. Some people have that anointing, which is awesome. They get to preach wow messages, and you go, wow, that was amazing. I'm more of an owl preacher, which means I'm probably going to slap you up the side of the head with some verses. And you're going to go, I'm not sure I like that. I think she just hit me at the side of the head. But you know what? The Word of God should challenge us and change us. And if we leave different, that's the whole purpose of this. If you came here for your religious tick in your religious calendar, then I hope God shakes you today, wakes you up on the inside because He has so much more for you. So God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are here. God, I thank you. You know every single detail of every single life. God, you care so much about us that you're not going to leave us the way we are. But you sent your word to challenge us and to change us and to strengthen us. And I pray today that in this house, this word would be strength to the soul. It would be meat on the bones. It would be another brick in the building of this house. And God, I pray that I would get out of the way so that you can have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may now take your seats on each campus. <clears throat> well, I am a local church girl. I loved being at the conference, but I get really excited when I get to be with the church because I believe in building the house of God. I have been in the same church 
all my life. I'm 45 years of age and I grew up in that church that we now pastor and lead. And so I do what you do. I build the local church. I serve the local church. And so I kind of want to say that before I begin so that you receive this word from a local church girl, that you receive this word as someone that wants to help you build what you're building and do it well and do it to the next level and cheer you on and And so I want to talk about something that will challenge us maybe, but in the best possible way, that we would live our lives the way that God intended us to live our lives. And this message concept came from a recent trip that I was on with my family. We were in one of our very favorite places in the world, in Africa, where we were doing some work out there and some projects. And after we'd finished on the projects, we took our children on safari. And so we spent the whole time over those few days between two elements that I want to talk about today. We would at night sleep in a tent, just like this one here, although it was a little bit more sturdy than this one here. And we would sleep under canvas at night, and then we would be in the bed, in the tent, under canvas, and then we would hear a cat. Not like your neighborhood kitty cat, like a big cat. And we would hear it roar all the way through the grass outside. And you would suddenly be aware while you were in the canvas that right outside of the canvas was vastness. And we would take our kids in the safari jeep during the day and there would be canvas windows that we would look through and within an arm's reach there would be an elephant or there would be a giraffe and you had this awareness yet again, there's the canvas I'm behind but the vastness is so close to where I am. And so when I got home from that trip, I began to think about the local church. I began to think about how God has set this whole thing up and I began to think about those two elements that God actually has designed our lives that we would have the canvas of our family, the canvas of our life, the canvas of our business, the canvas of our dreams. The idea is that God would take the canvas of your life and my life and he wants us to pitch that canvas inside his vastness. He wants us to take our ordinary and put it inside his extraordinary. He wants us to take our kind of limitation of what we can do and place it in the unlimitedness of what he can do. And so God's idea is that every aspect of your life is actually emerged in the vastness of who he is. The problem is that often we have a preference of either one or the other. So we either are those that love the canvas. We are those that love the church to be nice and tidy. We like to do our Sunday services, tick our box, then go out for dinner. We don't like the message to go longer than it should. We don't like people to get carried away. We like everything in order. In fact, we have become the canvas control police of our lives. And some of you, you sit in the same seat every single week. Don't pretend you don't. Your derriere imprints are in that cushion. (laughs) And you slightly freak out when someone sits where they should not sit. Because we kind of are creatures of habit and we're wired that way and we like church a certain way and we like things a certain way. And so for us, we would be like, well, I'm the canvas person. That's kind of my deal. And then there's others that are like, I'm all about the vastness. I just sense the Lord is moving me everywhere. And I might be here this week, Pastor Greg, but I might be over here the next. And you never know where you'll find me because I'm just drawn to the vastness of what God is doing. 
And those people drive the canvas people nuts, <laughs> right? Kind of think about it this way. You know, the story of the prodigal son that we can use for many different analogies. But think about it this way. That story is about two brothers, same dad in one house. And those two brothers are wired completely differently. One brother, he's the canvas brother. He's reliable. He's the guy that hands the receipts in on time. He's the guy that makes sure the job is done. He's the guy who locks the barn at night. He, he's Mr. Reliable. And then his brother, he, he's completely different. His brother is Mr. Restless. The prodigal was the restless one. He's the guy or the girl that when you sit down for your family meeting or in your business meeting, the restless one's the one that's tapping the fingers on the knee, scrolling through Instagram, looking around the room like already bored and you're only five minutes in to the conversation. Just restless on the inside. We all know those people. And the idea is that they have the same dad and they're supposed to dwell in the same house. That actually the strengths of the restless one and the strengths of the reliable one are supposed to be together. But often what happens is we separate them out. But when you separate them out, exactly what happened in that story happens. Because restless on his own, the prodigal, when he left home and he said, I don't think I belong, restless on his own becomes reckless. And reliable on his own becomes resentful. And God's idea is that we would put these two elements together, that we would appreciate the strengths of both, that we would compensate for the weaknesses of both, that we would understand that God is a God of the canvas, and God is a God of the vastness. And so I want to, for the next few moments, talk a little bit more about how these two things come together. Maybe some of the places where they rub against each other. Maybe some of the owl points that we have to navigate in order to live with these two things hand in hand. But it's worth the wrestle and it's worth the struggle for the end result. And I want to talk to you from the life of someone that literally lived with these two elements. His name is Abraham. Abraham lived in canvas. He lived actually in a structure of canvas. And yet Abraham was called to a life that was so vast. There was a promise on his life that would blow his mind, that was gonna enlarge his world way beyond his own capacity. And so God was about to bring all the way into his life vastness. And maybe today on every campus, the challenge that God has for you is for you to be open for some more vastness in your life. Maybe God is gonna require of you some stretching and some increase. And, and, and the Bible has a scripture in Isaiah that says, stretch wide the tent curtains. It doesn't say burn the tent. It says, I want to bring increase to the canvas, but it's gonna require some stretching. My kids have a film that they love to watch and the film is called Chicken Run. And this film has a scene in it where the chicken is about to be put in a chicken pie. And at that moment in the film, the chicken says something to this effect. Ooh, my life flashed before my eyes. And it was really boring. <laughs> and I just really don't want that to be said of anybody's life that serves God. 
if your life flashes before your eyes and you call yourself a child of God, it should be anything but boring. In fact, if Christian and boring are in the same sentence, we have a problem. We should be sued because it's not actually true. When we serve Christ, when we follow God, our life should be anything but boring. So if you are a bored Christian, guess where the problem lays? <laughs> not with God, <laughs> with you. And maybe God just wants to shake your life up like he was about to shake Abraham's up. Maybe he just wants to wake you up on the inside for what comes next. Because God was about to show Abraham something that would revolutionize the way he would think about his future. So in Genesis 15, Abraham is in the canvas. He's inside the tent. And God comes to the tent. And I want you to know, God will come to you. See, the idea of vastness, people, often is you have to chase. But the understanding that God wants you to come to is you don't have to chase stuff. You just have to trust me and believe I can bring it right to your world. It makes no sense that a chick from Bradford ends up going all around the world. Bradford's like, where's Bradford? Exactly. And you might say, I'm just from South Carolina. I mean, I don't really know anybody. I really know how God would even use me. I just have a small business. My life is so ordinary. You know what? God will use you right where you are if you will invite the vastness into your world. And so Abraham's in his tent and it says in Genesis 15 that God comes to him and he says to him, Abraham, I want you to come outside the tent Verse five, he took him outside and he said to him, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, Abraham, this is gonna blow your mind, but so shall your offspring be. Abraham, I know you only see limitation in your canvas, but I'm asking you to look up into the sky. I'm about to reveal to you my vastness. And Abraham, I'm about to bring something awesome into your life. And the next line is all God requires. It says, Abraham believed. That's all God needs. He just needs you to believe that he can use you. He just needs you to believe that your life matters. He just needs you to believe that you're called to something greater. And that is the beginning and entry point of a much bigger plan for your life than you currently have. Abraham believed. I love that God came to Abraham's tent. I love that God came to where he was doing life and said, Abraham, I am coming to show you something. And as he looked in the vastness and as he conceived this idea that God was gonna use his life to affect generations, he then went back in the canvas. See, God will show you something, but God needs you to have a home in order for the birth to happen. God is into home births. God's also into homeschooling. Some of you treat God like Amazon. You go online every week, spiritually. You put your order in. God, I would like. God, I need. God, if you could do this in my business. God, if you could help me in my marriage. God, if you could sort this situation out for me. You fill in your online order to heaven and you click send and send it up to the sky. You send it every week in worship or you send it every week in your prayer time. And some of you are frustrated because it seems to be that though the order you filled it out, God's slow on the delivery. God, you know, why hasn't my package arrived yet? 
Why haven't I received what I asked for yet? And I've discovered that sometimes the reason why the delivery doesn't happen is because you have failed to fill out a box. There's a box you have to fill out in order for this to happen. And the box that you have failed to fill out is your home address. If I was to order on Amazon today in the natural, they would definitely want to take my money from me. They would definitely want to fulfill my order. But if I don't tell them where I live, they can't send me anything. And God wants every single one of his kids to have a home address so that he can send his vastness to your campus. He wants us to have a place where we belong, a place where we put our roots down, a place where he can say, I can send that great idea into the canvas of that life and know it will be conceived and delivered. God wants you in community. God wants you to have people around you so that when he gives you the idea or the dream or the plan or the relationship, it comes and it adds to the canvas instead of takes you away from the canvas. God knows where you live. So just make sure you're home so he can make some deliveries. (laughs) You know, when we're not home and people try to deliver things to our house, it says couldn't deliver. They leave a note saying couldn't deliver, couldn't couldn't leave the package because you weren't here. And I sometimes wonder how many things God's trying to deliver to our lives and yet nobody's home. So canvas and vastness looks like you being home but having an eye to the vastness of God. It looks like saying yes to the big idea and being willing to conceive it in the canvas that God has placed you in. The other relationship tension of canvas and vastness that we have to navigate, and there's nowhere more evident that this tension presents itself than the local church, is that when you commit to the vastness of God, when you say yes to something bigger than yourselves, it requires consistent, I'm about to say a word, it's gonna make you all cringe, change. (laughs) I don't know whether South Carolina people are wired differently than British people, but I know at home, people don't like change. They don't mind it maybe once every two years, but they don't want it once a week. They certainly don't want it to be regular, and they definitely don't want change in church. I mean, stop messing with church. At least that be one place I can come and nothing changes. I mean, why do we need to mess with it? Bring back the hymn sheets. Bring back, you know, the sensibly dressed worship pastor. What's with the tattooed freaky hair guy? What's going on? <laughs> right? Because, because why do we have to keep changing how this thing looks? I'll tell you why. Because God has the box lid. God has the box lid for the church. God has the box lid for what he's doing across the earth. We don't. And I wish, like I'm sure you do, that when God designed the box lid, he'd have just made it have four pieces. (laughs) Because then it would be really easy to figure it out, know where everything belongs, and leave it alone. But he didn't. He designed this box lid with so many pieces, of which you are all one. Every single one of you is a piece of God's big, vast picture. The problem is, therefore, in church, is the more pieces we add, the more often we can feel displaced. Let me put it this way. My daughter loves to do puzzles. She loves to do a jigsaw puzzle. 
I have never once seen my daughter, when she's doing a puzzle, put her hand in the box of thousands of pieces and first time put the piece in the right place. Never once. I've seen her put it where she thinks it fits, only to realize the more pieces she adds, where it used to fit, it no longer fits. It's exactly the same in the church. The more the church advances, the more you add a campus, the more ideas you launch, the more things you say yes to, the bigger the picture gets, which means your piece is going to have to move around the board. (laughs) The idea is that you would understand that you all have a piece. Listen to me, you don't ever have to question, do I have a piece? God put breath in your lungs because you have something to say. God has got you here alive for such a time as this. Your peace is never in question, but you may have to fight for your place. You may have to be uncomfortable for a season. You may have to wrestle where you fit for a while. Just because you're wrestling for where you fit does not mean you don't fit. That's a lie of the enemy. And he gets busy in transition and he gets busy in growth and he begins to sow a lie that says, you know what, you might as well take your piece out. You know, my daughter, when she realizes a piece doesn't fit, she never does this. Well, that's no use. Because she understands that that piece eventually will fit. And if I throw it away when I get to the end of this puzzle, I'm gonna be so frustrated at what I discarded. And the enemy's telling you, you don't fit, you don't have a place. See, this is what happens in local church. That's why I know, I know this stuff because I've been in the same church all my life. And when local church grows, things happen. People do sit in your seat. Things happen. You used to have a name badge and be used in an area and now nobody needs you in that area. Things happen like you used to know everybody's name and now barely anyone knows your name. And you're like, I don't know that I fit anymore because for me, fit means people know my name. Fit means I have the same badge I had for 20 years. No, no, no. It just means that the vastness means that your piece is still relevant, but your place may change. (laughs) I have served in every area of my church. Pretty much every area I would tell you I have done a season in. I served in kids' church. I've served in the youth team. I've served in the hospitality team. I have waved cars in, in the parking lot. What am I doing? I'm saying I have a place somewhere. I'm just gonna try and find my fit. I even for a season was on the worship team. Yes, I was. They recruited me. They said, listen, we need somebody on that platform that is life-giving. We have too many dead worshipers. So we need you up there. You're energetic. You get excited easily. You're passionate. So we need you up there. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm a piece. Put me where you think you need me. And I just said yes. And I was on that worship team for eight months until they found someone that was better than me. And then I was no longer needed in the worship team. And it was only when I left the worship team that someone told me, They had never once put volume in my microphone. (laughs) I had been miming for Jesus for eight months. But I was a happy mimer. 
because I didn't care. It wasn't about me getting my moment. It was about me helping put the pieces of the puzzle together. And if you get this, if you understand this, it will revolutionize the way you do church. It will change the way you come. It will change the way you worship. It will change the way you serve. You won't sit waiting for a word, should I serve? You'll just go, oh, you need help? I'll come help. I'll help as long as you need help in that area because you realize you just keep putting your peace on the board. Don't let the enemy make you discard your peace. Don't let him tell you you don't fit anymore. Don't buy into that. You have a place. You just might have to wrestle a little bit to find it in different seasons of your journey with God. Lot had a place with Abraham, but Lot got confused about his place. And Lot began to figure, you know what? I have all this stuff, so I'm gonna take my stuff and do my own thing. And Lot removed his peace from the big picture of God's vastness and built his own canvas next to Sodom. He confused his blessing and his belonging. But God says, my blessing is attached to your belonging. The canvas must be in my vastness. And I don't want any one of us to make the mistake that Lot did because it did not go well for him. The story goes on that then Abraham is now on red alert. And maybe God needs you in every campus to get a fresh sense of red alert in your spirit, that God at any time could explode your life, that God at any time is gonna send something into your world that's gonna make you have to think bigger, stretch wider. I think that's why serving God's so exciting. Because you're like, okay, I think I know what I'm doing, but who knows? God may ask something more of me. God may draw something else out of me. So Abraham, he decides, okay, I get it, God. You want vastness to come to my canvas. So it's like he pulls his tent up and he's like pitching the tent of his life on the edge of the vastness of God. And in Genesis 18, he says he's on the edge of his tent. And he's kind of hanging out on the edge of the tent. Everyone else is inside the canvas, but Abraham's like watching. Where's the vastness coming from? You know what? That's what great leadership looks like. Great leadership looks like a leader that is concerned about the canvas, but also is committed to vastness. And if you are looking for a tidy church, I suggest you carry on looking because this church is not called to be tidy. It has a leader that likes vastness. You have a staff and a team that have vastness in their heart and so it should be in every church. That we're always looking, God, what are you asking? What are you requiring? What is it that you're calling us to do? There's 13 campuses. Why? Because this canvas is pitched in vastness. If it was just a canvas, one campus is enough. But when you pitch your canvas in God's vastness, you have to keep adding and extending and building. And so he's on the edge of his tent is Abraham and three visitors go by. And as soon as he sees them, his heart's pounding and he knows there's something about these guys going by that are to do with the vastness of God. And so Abraham runs out to these three visitors and in Genesis 18, he goes, he throws himself at their feet and he says that he says to them, please, if I've found favor in your eyes, don't pass by. Let some water be brought to you. Then let us wash your feet. Let me go get you something to eat so you can be refreshed. In other words, Abraham is inviting vastness for dinner, which sounds awesome, right? 
until you read the next line. And this is where it all gets funky in the church because this leader has just invited vastness for dinner. He just said, come on over and I will feed you. <laughs> but the next line says, Abraham runs inside the tent and shouts, hey, Sarah, <laughs> go make some bread. Hey, you, go get some water. You over there, go get some meat. Whoa, wait a minute. You just invited vastness in and now you expect us to help you feed vastness? Exactly. It's always the job of the canvas to feed vastness. It's always the job of the canvas to resource the vastness. It's always the call of the canvas to say, I want to put seed in the ground of what God is doing. And so Abraham invites vastness in, but now the whole canvas is involved. Let me put it this way to you. When my son was about five or six years of age, he would often say to me, Mom, can I bring my friend after school for dinner? And I would say, sure you can. You can bring your friend for dinner. And so he would bring his friend over to the house and they would play in the yard for a couple of hours and climb trees like boys do. And eventually they would roll on in the house and the two six-year-olds would stand there and they would look at me and they would say, we're hungry. I didn't look back at them and go, and? I'm watching Netflix, what's your problem? I didn't look at the six-year-olds and say to my son, he's not my guest. It's not my job to feed your friend. You invited him. You're six, go make him dinner yourself. No, that would be ridiculous because I understand as a parent that my son's guest is my guest. And what God's after in the church is that we would have an understanding that you might not need a single parent ministry because you might not be a single parent but there's someone in your family that is a single parent that needs that ministry. So guess what? That guest is your guest. You might not need a 13th campus because you have this campus. You know where you sit every week and it's nice and tidy. So I don't need, pastor, to finance another campus. But instead, God's looking for, yeah, but that guest is your guest. And when you finance that, you extend the big picture of what God's doing. Well, I don't need to be involved in helping ark churches, plant churches. What's that to do with me? Well, what's to do with you is the leader invited Vastus for dinner and you're getting the bread and you're getting the water and you're getting the food. That's how it works in the big scheme of God. God is looking for canvases all across the earth that are willing to feed the vastness of what he's doing. And a church that shuts its doors to the visitor of vastness becomes small, irrelevant, controlling, all caught up in the church politics, all caught up with conversations that just keep us small. You know, vastness is the best gift you can give your marriage. Vastness is the best gift you can give your family. Because when you live your life with your family planted in vastness, it means all the stuff that normally would bother you becomes so small compared to the things that have captured your heart. The great flip side of this, therefore, is if you'll live your life willing, if you'll live your canvas life willing to feed vastness, then there's a reverse effect that happens. Because that vastness, in return, 
will feed your purpose. Those visitors that came in and stopped by to eat, as they sat there and they refreshed themselves, one of them said, where's Sarah? Sarah that had been in the canvas preparing the food. Sarah that was barren, that had said, my life is contained. Sarah that felt that her best days were behind her. Now that she's feeding vastness, vastness begins to speak over her life purpose. And vastness says to Sarah, you will bear a child. You will be fruitful. Your best days are not behind you. There is more for you. Because when you live a life that sees vastness, it feeds in you purpose. If you still have breath in your lungs today, then you should be breathing in purpose. God has you here for a reason. He has you here, not as a spare part. Listen, church is not about a few people with microphones. Church is about an army of people getting on and doing what God has called them to do. And we need every single person involved. There's a lady in our church, she's called Gertrude Peacock. How English is that name? I'm not even making it up. That is her actual name, Mrs. Gertrude Peacock. And uh, she babysat me as a young girl. And I mean, Gertrude literally would have like, like pristine clothes, a little handbag, and she looked like the queen. She walked like the queen. She talked like the queen. I mean, she was like royal in stature. And Gertrude went home to be with the Lord at age 106. Yes, she lived a good long life. And let me tell you why I believe Gertrude lived such a good, healthy, happy, vibrant life. Because she understood what I'm teaching you right now. She never once complained, it's too loud. In fact, the old people in our church, instead of complaining about how loud the worship is, they'll come to us and say, it's awesome that the worship is so loud because we don't even have to switch our hearing aids on. <laughs> I mean, that's just a different way to look at it, right? She never once complained that we changed the color of the building or we didn't wear smart suits anymore. She didn't complain about any of the changes in the canvas because she knew all the changes were keeping her alive spiritually. When she saw young people, she's like, that's what I prayed for. When she saw people walk down to the front of the altar, she's like, that's what I give financially for. When she saw the expansion of a nursery in her 90s, she's putting her own finances into it because she realizes when I'm gone, the church is gonna carry on. Gertrude was so alive with purpose that at 96 years of age, we had to ban her from the youth conference. <laughs> I am not lying. And the only reason we banned her from the youth conference was because at age 96, she passed out in the mosh pit. <laughs> Gertrude, all put together, Gertrude was in the middle of the mosh pit with all of the teenagers and she passed out because it was so hot. And we had to call the ambulance and the ambulance came into the youth conference and put Gertrude on a stretcher. And they put her on a stretcher and lifted her above all the teenagers and she had oxygen on her face. And I'll never forget, she lifted the oxygen mask off her face and looked at me and said, carry on without me, dear, carry on without me. And then put the mask back on. <laughs> she was awesome. She was awesome. Why? Why was that the spirit she had? Because she understood. My canvas should be pitched in God's vastness. 
My best days are not behind me. They're right now. They're right here. And maybe you've lost sight of that. Maybe church for you has become attending a meeting. Maybe change has become just too uncomfortable. Maybe the stretch, you're like, I'm tired of stretching. Maybe you feel like, well, I've done my yards. I invested in this church. I've been here a long time. You know what? I'm done. The Bible says, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in investing your life into the vastness of God. For it's the very thing that keeps you alive. It's the very thing that keeps you vibrant. It's the very thing that keeps you on your knees praying. It's the very thing that keeps you being generous in heart and generous in resource. I thank God that your church is a canvas that is committed to pitching itself in vastness. And as uncomfortable as that can be in seasons and as stretching as that can feel at times, I pray that you would not grow tired You would not shut your doors. You would not close your heart. You would not seal up your pockets. You would not say enough is enough, but instead you would say, God, like Abraham, I am gonna live a life where my canvas is inside your vastness. I'm gonna live and dream inside your greatness. I'm gonna live and give inside your bigness. So on every campus today, my encouragement to you all is will you yet again commit to a life where your canvas is submitted to his vastness. And in every single campus, I want you just to stand to your feet. Because I would love to pray over you in this moment before I hand over. Because I'm sure somewhere in your heart right now, there is a stretch, there is an uncomfortableness. Maybe you're the person that says, I don't feel I fit anymore. Maybe you're the person that says, I don't know if I can stretch anymore. Maybe you have lost sense of what your purpose is and today God wants to remind you of it. But on every campus right now with eyes closed, if in some way you're responding to any of the things that you feel God has laid in your heart today, I think the best sign to respond sometimes is just to lift our hands. It's kind of like a sign of surrender all over again. So if you would, just lift your hands. Father, you see our hands raised right now. And God, we thank you that you are the God of vastness, but you care deeply about the canvas of every life. God, the whole picture of this is that you would send from the vastness of heaven a savior to the canvas of our hearts. God, that in the vastness of your power and your glory, you would leave us for the canvas of our hearts, the gift of the Holy Spirit. God, you are committed to this principle in every single area. And I pray over Seacoast on every location today that there will be a stretching, that there will be a yes, that there will be an amen, that there will be a willingness, that there will be a vitality, that there will be an energy, that in the midst of change, in the midst of expansion, in the midst of transition, that God, the overwhelming sound in this house would be God, we commit afresh to our canvas being in your vastness. So God, refresh every weary heart, strengthen every soul, and God, remind everyone that needs it today of their purpose, that they have so much more to give, and so much more to do, that you are not finished yet with them, God. God, I thank you for this house, and I thank you for this church. I thank you for a canvas 
that is committed to your vastness. Amen.